On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus teaches his disciples about ministry that involves service and sacrifice. His disciples are slow to realize that these words apply to them as well as to others. The Holy Gospel, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 38th verse. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. And be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For if everyone will be, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of our Lord. Christ. There's a well-known, well-loved hymn, Blessed Assurance. And it begins, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And the refrain repeats, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I hear those words, and I picture Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies, hunched over the ring, dementedly screech growling to himself, my precious! I'm not a Lord of the Rings nerd, but I'm pretty sure the ring was never meant to be possessed by any one individual. Originally known as Schmeagol, Gollum murdered a relative to gain possession of the One Ring, and it ultimately corrupted his spirit, his whole being, and he became this old, haggard monster with a sick love for the Ring and himself, matched only by his hatred for both the Ring he couldn't let go of and of himself. A truly miserable existence. Like the Ring, the possession of Jesus is corrupting and misses the point of following him. Circulating around the social medias this week has been a piece that I haven't read because like so many things on the interwebs these days, the headline is synopsis length and gives away the point. Basically, according to the headline, the author is saying that Christianity is not about having a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus but that faith is communal, it's a communal relationship. I agree with this and have been saying it for years. 
And because I believe so strongly that Christian faith requires community, requires us as individuals to be members of the whole body of Christ, that in the times when I have wanted to walk away from the capital C church because of its myriad problems and griefs, I haven't, obviously, or I wouldn't be standing up here yakking at all of you right now. So things like hymns claiming Jesus with possessive pronouns really bug me. Jesus is not mine. Jesus is not even communally ours. We belong to Jesus. Now maybe if that hymn said, Blessed Assurance, I am Jesus's, or Blessed Assurance, Jesus has us, and the refrain, something like, this is our story, this is our song, loved by our Savior all the day long, maybe I wouldn't be so annoyed with it. That urge to claim Jesus, to claim any person of the divine with an individually defined relationship, so that we can say things like, well, my relationship with Jesus is better than your relationship with Jesus. You know, any, anything that would make us feel somehow better, or superior to our neighbor, it, it is part of human nature. We're like John and the other whiny disciples. Jesus, those people over there, they aren't like us, but they're doing good works in your name. That's our job. Make them stop. Or we're like the young man in Joshua tattling to Moses, Eel Dad and Me Dad are prophesying in the camp when they weren't in the tent with the elders. It's that jealousy thing. The recorded music that I play for our hymns, they come from a Lutheran congregation in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And their pastor posted her sermon for today off of this text uh, yesterday on YouTube, so I listened to it. And a few minutes into it, Pastor Kimber McNabb talked about that jealous feeling she sometimes get when it seems like someone else has the better spiritual revelation, gift, or experience. And I felt so seen and understood. Like, oh my good, I'm not the only one who gets jealous like that. It was especially pointed for me because I had just been feeling that jealousy, that envy about someone I've never even met. And it reminded me that preaching, prayer, prophesying, things that don't begin with the letter P, they aren't about me. They're about God and God's activity in the world. We don't possess Jesus. The works we do in faith of the divine are not ours either. We don't possess our churches. The call together for a time and reason does not last forever. We are stewards caretakers of what God has entrusted to us for whatever blink of eternity we occupy. And we share the gifts of faith, the fruits of the Spirit, with one another in community. And we develop our personal relationships with the divine, not to the exclusion of community, but for the enrichment of community. Think about what does God say to you in prayer? What is for you alone? And what is for you to share for the good of the community? What did God say to Fanny Crosby that she was inspired to write Blessed Assurance? What was helpful to the Christian community when she wrote it, even if I, and presumably others too, now find it unhelpful? 
not because she was wrong per se, but because the sharing of gifts grows us beyond what we once were. What once was helpful may not be helpful today, and what is helpful today may not be helpful tomorrow. Like medicine, before vaccine, before vaccines, the best that could happen was treatment of disease and its effects on the body. Now, we can prevent some diseases, even essentially eliminate some, like polio and smallpox. Today's vaccines don't go back in time to invalidate yesteryear's medicine. They make up part of today's movement to tomorrow as God has gifted researchers to learn from the past to work for the future. So our faith is both communal and personal. If any of you watched the TV series, The Good Place, you might recall that a theme for season two was the question, what do we owe to each other? And while the show dealt with questions of moral philosophy, not religion, Jesus answers that what we owe to each other is care, compassion, and opportunity for good, godly living. In short, Jesus says we owe to each other service and sacrifice. Service, whatever is required to ensure our neighbor has basic needs, such as clean water, healthcare, safe and secure shelter, without putting in stumbling blocks to getting those, such as our various systems of oppression and injustice. Sacrifice, whatever is more than we need that blocks our neighbor from their needs. We need to sacrifice, let go of our greed, our selfishness, our excess and waste. Jesus' call to follow him, the call to discipleship is a path which requires us to let go of our egos, our jealousies, our desires to be crowned holiest or best or whatever. The call to discipleship is one of service and sacrifice, but not despair. When we feel the weight of the world, this life, we are assured that Jesus is with us, that the Godhead has created us for this time, and that the Spirit guides and supports us in all things. Laying aside our jealousies of others individually and collectively, who at least in appearance have what we desire in and out of church, faith, spiritual living, think about what gifts have we been given? What gifts have we shared? What gifts have we developed to share anew? South African theologian Albert Nolan's 1976 book, Jesus Before Christianity, is a great theological work. And 40 years later, in his 2006 book, Jesus Today, A Spirituality of Radical Freedom, he expanded on what he had previously said, even saying that some parts of that first book weren't exactly right. Dr. Nolan was a gifted theologian. He shared those gifts with the world and he continued to develop and share them anew. How do we as individuals, as a community of faith, die to what was to live anew as God's resurrected people? 
what has been that is no more? How do we rise anew with Jesus to serve our neighbors with the gifts we have been given? And how do we do it without being jealous? Or am I the only one? Okay, nobody else is raising their hand. Yikes. Share your salt and have peace with one another. Amen.